Hello, and welcome to the Webtoon Room. I'm Will. And I'm Crudy. And today, we're here to recap, once again, Purple Hyacinth, episodes 86 through episode 90. We're back again. I mean, I think you all know how much we love Purple Hyacinth. This isn't a secret at this point. And this set of episodes has been kind of interesting. I think we learned a lot of new information, didn't we? Yeah, we did. And we'll get into it right about now, I think. I know we haven't offered one of these in a while, but before we get started, spoiler warning, the title is a recap episode. If you're listening to this, you should probably know that, but we wanted to put it here anyway. Gritty, what did you think about these sets of episodes? I think we got a lot of information in these sets of episodes. It's interesting because I don't think a lot actually happened, but we got a lot of new information and we got some interesting new characters and new relationships and new questions popping up from this latest set. I think new questions is a great way to summarize these episodes. We start off with episode 86, which by the way, we're going to be talking about 86 and 87 together. The events of the two episodes link up fairly nicely, so we're going to be talking about them concurrently. And I think it makes sense to actually talk about Darcy and Will and Lauren first. Lady Darcy, or Neira, Neira, we're going to refer to her as Neira, that's how we think it's pronounced, finally gets her full introduction, her theme music and all, and she is very majestic and grand when she hits the page. Yes, it's funny because her appearance in episode 86 at the very end, I don't even think she'd been like fully introduced yet, it was just... Her entrance, as you said, grand entrance, and the fandom on Instagram went wild. Like, so much simping, so much fanning, so much standing. It was, it was pretty cool. I was like, good for you, Nara, coming in with a boom. Yeah, to take a page out of Lorelin Pod. Uh, she fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, undeniably, undeniably. Lady Darcy knows how to look good. But anyway, starting with episode 86, we're going to jump to the tail end of it with Lady Neira, Lady Darcy. We're going to call her Neira from here on out. Do correct us if anyone, by the way, does know the correct pronunciation. But we're going to start at the end of episode 86 where she gets introduced and she has her own theme music and she is majestic and very grand. She is indeed. Neira has actually been mentioned before in Purple Hyacinth when Will goes home to have dinner with his father and his father mentions a potential romance match, a potential marriage match for him, and he drops the name Lady Neira Darcy. And this is the episode where we actually get to see her for the first time. Will goes up to greet her and it's very stiffly polite, kind of forced flirting, basically, almost, and they're both trying to fulfill an obligation, and that's pretty clear, because we are viewing this through Lauren's eyes. She can see all of the lies they're spouting. Yeah, it's not just Will or Nate. They're both 
all of their text is just in red and they're like, oh, I would love to take you to da-da-da, and it's just a lie, and it goes back and forth. Yeah, neither of them want to be there. It's really clear. <laughs> and Lauren is sort of watching all of this unfold, and she's like, I can't take this anymore. We need to do something about it. So she decides the best way to do this is to pull the classic, oh, I'm going to spill a drink on you dinner party move, and uh, it turns into a bit of comedy because... <laughs> Neyra catches the glass, and uh, they exchange a look between the two of them, and it's completely nonverbal, and it's really funny, where Neyra goes, says to Lauren, basically, was I not supposed to catch it? And Lauren's like, yeah, you were not supposed to catch it. <laughs> Follow my lead. And Lauren's like, oh, woe is me. I feel faint. And I need to go upstairs to rest. And Darcy's like, oh, yes, Will, you should go with your friend. I'll be fine. And <laughs> it's pretty great. It's a great little moment. Yeah. Neyra kind of takes it backstage here. And we get a moment between Lauren and Will as they get to chat between themselves on the balcony nearby. Yeah. And Will and Lauren have been friends for a long time. And that's never been more clear than in moments like this. They fall into an easy, comfortable rapport, and they chat about a lot of things. Lauren teases him about Kim, and he's firmly in denial, so that ship has still quite a while to sail, potentially. But it is funny that Lauren does ship it, and she makes it very clear to Will. But talk turns serious when Will mentions to Lauren that he has seen his brother, Raphael. Yeah, we first look into Lauren's thoughts, who puts together the dots the tattoo on the pianist, and the same tattoo on the messenger. She also thinks about Kieran's words about the Pantheon, that if he is in the Pantheon, he's likely been there a while. And it makes sense with the information that Will confirms that Raphael has been missing since the Allendale train station bombing, which we talked about in a previous episode recap. I think 77 through 81, when we were talking about all this, when Raphael actually was on the panels, we get more details of that now. Will had woken up with a letter beside his bed, and we see little Will in flashbacks, biking to the train station frantically to try and catch Raphael as he's leaving. And I think this has stuck with him since. Raphael used to be his hero, and once he was gone, it's like he never existed, and this has affected him throughout the rest of his life. Yeah, and I imagined for a kid, Seeing your brother leave and then disappear for 10 years, it definitely weighs on Will. And I don't know if we've seen the full effects of this yet, but more on that later. Yeah, that's a really good point. 10 years. Putting aside all of the phantom stuff speculations, the messenger speculations, it'll be really interesting to see what direction Will goes from here. Because Lauren, after this, she says, you know, she's proud of Will. She kind of bolsters him up. She tells him that he's withstood a lot, and he has. And his heart has never changed. He's always been kind and good inside. But she says, this can't keep going indefinitely. You have to stop living for someone else. And this sentence makes me wonder. And to me, it actually foreshadows, I think we're going to see Will kind of unhinged. He, he Like, he's unshackled. He's going to be like a unbridled stallion. Weird term, I know. But he's going to be unshackled. I think he is going to divest at some point from the path that he's been chosen to take. 
and make different choices. And I'm really curious about his arc, actually. Yeah, I think we are going to see that at some point. I do agree. I would be really interested to see what Will Unchained looks like. I think we'd all like to see the full range of his emotions and him not holding back. Yeah, and I'm also curious to see what the event is that is gonna be the catalyst for this. What is the thing that is gonna switch Will off from this mode and make that dramatic kind of decision to turn away from these things that he's been set up for? Is it gonna be somebody close to him being affected? We know that Will cares deeply for the people in his life. And when in the story that's gonna happen? Because we're pretty deep into season two right now, and the season finale, while I don't think it's upcoming, I think it's in sight. And I'm curious if this is also going to happen kind of around that time, and it's going to set us up for season three. These are excellent questions, Grudy. I have a lot of thoughts on them, and we'll get to those later towards the end of this episode. Back to the party. Yeah, let's move on to the rest of the New Year's party, where... Earlier, we saw Dakan Rysmel arrive, and we've seen him before. He's the king's right hand, and we know that he's Lauren's godfather, but this is the first time we're seeing them in the space altogether, and it's pretty clear that he's not just Lauren's godfather, he's basically her uncle. Dakan and Tristan, it's funny, they're the first confirmed actual ship in this webtoon, and it's clear that they both treat and love Lauren like a daughter. Yeah, and this comes up earlier in the party where Lauren stumbles upon Dakan looking at a portrait of her parents, and they have a little bit of a moment there. But what happens next is the juiciest part of this episode. Dakan, Tristan, and Stefan Hawks all converge at the same painting, and they start to have a little bit of a verbal smackdown between them. It does seem like things almost come to blows in a weird way. Hawks is there subtly talking about uncertain loyalties and about showing strength in the face of the enemy. And Takan is clearly very heated that certain decisions weren't thought through and they were consequences that shouldn't have happened. And I think what we're seeing here very clearly is an ideological conflict, not only between Stefan Hawks and Takan, but potentially a conflict between the police and royalty. The events are left vague, but as you said, Will, this is really juicy. Yeah. And Lauren is watching this all go down, and she thinks back to the lie that Stefan told on the day of her parents' funeral. Yeah, there was never an argument we couldn't settle. And even now, in this conversation now, they were always exemplary people. What does he know about Lauren's parents? And what did he do? There's a lot of mystery still here, and there are a lot of questions about them. This is something that got hinted at earlier in the episode, too, when Lauren meets Dakan at her parents' portrait, and he says, I never thought they'd have to die so soon. Which, if you think about it, such a weird phrase. Such a weird way to phrase that. I never thought they'd have to die so soon. And the key part of this is they'd have to die. Like it was inevitable. Right, like he knew that it was going to happen, that it would have to happen. And really the only thing that surprised him was that it happened as soon as it did. Yeah, the timeliness of it was the inciting factor there. And in a weird way, this is in line with the lies that Stefan is saying 
they were exemplary people. There was an argument and we could never settle. Like all their stories are starting to add up a little bit. Yeah. Do you think that they knew that they were Phantom Scythe members or even that they knew that they were Snapdragon members? Is that why there's such a weirdness around Lauren's parents? And I don't know if that's the case, if they did know, I have a lot of questions about what happened after the Allendale train bombing and even before that, because I think this is one of the things that Purple Hyacinth is setting up really well is the actions of the previous generation and the past and how it's affecting the kids now. Yeah, the youth these days. <laughs> I know. And speaking of youth, I didn't know I wanted Tristan and Dakon as adoring gay uncles. But now that we have it, I am so here for this. I love them together. They're, they're adorable. And I love how much they love Lauren. It's so cute. And speaking of, that's exactly where we find Lauren. He's dropping on her gay uncles into the transition to episode 88. She's gone up to find a glass of water because she's having trouble sleeping. And she sees Tristan and Dakon talking about the events from 10 years ago. And this is a little bit of an exposition dump, admittedly, but we do learn some very interesting things. We learn a little bit more about who ordered the assassination of the Snapdragon. We learn a little bit about the history of the royalty and that King Edward was a much harsher ruler than the current monarch. We also learned that there were other protest groups that were dissatisfied with the state of Ardalis. And we also learned that there was a bit of a purge among journalists and other certain individuals. Some were jailed, some were re-educated, and some mysteriously disappeared. And I think an important note to mention here is that the world of Ardalis is not a democracy by any means. Freedom of speech as Will said, was severely cold. Even the mention of the injustices by the royalty, it got you punished. And that's exactly what happened to Snapdragon. The tech's headquarters, the members, they were completely erased. We talked about the assassination of Snapdragon, and that's exactly what happened. And this was done in secret. Only the highest-ranking minister, Secret Service, Stefan Hawks, and Duckun knew about it. Which brings the question... Who betrayed the Snapdragon? They were in complete anonymity. They kept that for two years. But something happened. Someone leaked it. And that is why the leader is so unforgiving. When people want to abandon the Phantom Scythe. And why it is so hard to trace anything back to him. And Lauren, who's still eavesdropping at the door. Yes, this tired old trope you've seen a million times. She is pretty shocked to hear all this. And she's reminded of what Sandman told her earlier, which was only a few people are close to the leader and the purge of the Snapdragon. Yeah, and this episode actually answered a question I had from one of the earlier Lauren and Sandman chapters about the Snapdragon survivors, because there was sort of an unmentioned event about something that happened to Snapdragon and then the Allendale train station bombing. And clearly those two weren't the same event. So learning about the assassination here makes sense and that the leader was one of the survivors of this assassination, and everyone else kind of around him became his apostles. And it's kind of weirdly poetic that the Phantom Scythe, this big threat that the monarchy's dealing with now, 10 years later, was a monster created by the actions of the monarchy. Right. This was a peaceful protest. Snapdragon called for peaceful revolution. 
Back in episode 54, when Lauren finds those documents, they call for peaceful revolution. And how do they get treated? The monarchy met them with violent force. This has a counterpart in real life when uh, organizations or governments respond with violent suppression of peaceful activities. Sometimes it just gets really, really ugly. That is an understatement. <laughs> yeah, it's honestly horrible. And that is exactly what happened here in this Purple Hyacinth Ardalis universe. Speaking of Phantom Scythe, though, there's one small lie that gets dropped in this episode that is like a teaser for something to come. And that is from Dakon. The Secret Services don't know anything about the Phantom Scythe's next move, but someone does. And I'm curious as to who that is. Do you have any thoughts? I don't know. There's a lot of players on the stage right now. We'll speculate more on this a little bit later, but I'm really, really curious and really, really unsure. Yeah, definitely. Part of me wonders, too, if he suspects Lorne. We know Tristan has been side-eyeing her a little bit, and Tristan and Dakon obviously are close, so I don't know. Could be. Could be. Or, I just had this thought, what if, this is a big what if, I can see the excitement, what if, they're in contact with Kirith, or they know of his actions and who he is. How big of a drop would that be? Oh, okay. I really, I don't usually say this, but I really want to swear right now because that is so good. Oh my God. Hold on. Let me process that because damn, that would be, that would be juicy as hell. And it makes sense, at least with the working theory that we have that Kieran is potentially connected to the royalty in some way. Dakon obviously is in the castle. He is deep in the know. He's the king's right hand. And Tristan and him are obviously, obviously tight. Man, that would be wild if that was, oh, that would be wild if that was the case. I'm not saying that, that this is going to be true for sure, but it would be so interesting and pretty shocking if it was. Yeah, and... We have seen, I mean, we'll see in episode 90 when we get to it, characters are connected to each other in interesting ways in Purple Hyacinth sometimes, so it wouldn't surprise me. What I'm saying is it wouldn't be out of character for this webtoon to pull something like this, and it would be, it would be fascinating. But no, that's such a good theory. I'm, I'm here for that. That is cool. Sweeping theories aside, one final thing of note about this scene is that while Lauren is eavesdropping, she has an audible gasp. And Dakon notices. Yeah, he does. He, I don't know if he saw her, but he knows someone is there. So who knows what that'll pan out to in the future or if that'll be followed up on, but could be something interesting. Who knows? And the episode ends with <sighs> Belladonna just getting home from just an honest day's work of killing people, as you do when you are a impossibly attractive, I mean, um, a assassin for the Phantom Scythe. And she comes back, and guess who's inside? Lady Nera Elena Darcy. Ooh. Oh, snap. And this is where we head into episode 89. Belladonna and Nera clearly know each other. There's some history there. They know each other very well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We'll get to that. Nera refers to them as old friends, quote-unquote. Uh, but Belladonna seems... Irritated and kind of surprised. Surprised, honestly, is an understatement. She's in shock at seeing Nera again. 
And clearly it's been a while since they actually came face to face. Yeah, and it's a mix of shock. There's a little bit of anger there and surprise, of course. But it all just kind of blends together and takes a backseat as they talk a little bit. Yeah, and don't forget the feels. She full-on has, like, several ba-dumps, which in Purple Hyacinth talk is, like, feels. And it's really funny, actually, to see Belladonna like this, because we've only really seen her be cool, confident, badass. Doesn't take anything from anyone else. Yeah, and similarly to Kieran in some of the other episodes we've talked about, it's really gratifying almost. It's really satisfying and kind of interesting to see Belladonna be so undone by another person because we've never seen that happen before. And up until this episode, I kind of didn't think it was possible, but here we are. They start to discuss their history with one another and Belladonna refers to Neyra as princess, which just has a lot of implications, which we'll get to in a second. Neyra also says to her that she needs Belladonna's help once again to quote unquote escape. Yeah, and it's clear from Belladonna's face and her words and her actions that this is quite a request for Nera to make of her because these two haven't seen each other in quite some time. Belladonna left two years ago without a trace and Nera kind of took that amount of time to track her down. Not to mention there is clearly unresolved sexual slash romantic tension between them. I don't think Belladonna would willingly let any other person get so close to her so clearly. Nera is something special, but there's still some baggage there, and Belladonna ends up refusing, and she slams the door in Nera's face. And we cut back to the police precinct, where they've found what's presumably the three murder victims that Belladonna had killed during her honest day of work. And as a result of this, Lauren is assumed to be now innocent because she was clearly at the party in her own home with lots of witnesses, and she was nowhere near the murders. Kim and Will celebrate and chat with Lauren, and we also get some pretty juicy Kieran and Lauren eye contact, which is fantastic, A-plus as always. And then we cut to a flashback earlier in the day when Kim and Will had another run-in with Lady A, in which the name Carmine Camellia and Loon are both dropped. Oh boy. Yeah, go off. I know you got some stuff to say. <laughs> oh, man. That's the sound of me just kind of sputtering and spattering my words because I've mentioned this before in these recaps. I'm not the biggest fan of the Lady A cameos. I think they are funny sometimes, but for them to drop really important details like Loon is a man and a woman, or in this case, the Carmine Camellia and associate that name with Loon, so Kim gets the clue. It's It all feels a little bit far-fetched for me. And Crudy, you've mentioned before that you want to see where this all goes. Yeah, because to me, this whole Lady A business, I mean, it's been weaving in and out of the major plot points at Purple Hyacinth since early season one. To me, this better be going somewhere because we've gotten so much of it and it's not funny to me enough to be just a pure joke, even though I know a lot of people do enjoy it. To me, it just doesn't land in that way. And then on the other side of things, to have it as a red herring, which I could also see Purple Hyacinth doing. It's not out of character for Purple Hyacinth to do something like that. It's done it before. But it would be really dissatisfying with Lady A because, again, it just feels more inserted and obnoxious than some of the other elements of this story. And so many of the other ones are done really well, 
Lady A is comparatively kind of frustrating. And so that's why, to me, I just think that this should be going somewhere because otherwise, what's the point? That's kind of the question that I'm asking. Yeah. And it's not the fun kind of question you want to ask because Kurti and I love Purple Hyacinth, but we don't want to have to ask this question. Where is this going? What's the point? Definitely. And the other part of this, too, is the way it keeps intersecting with Kim and Will's investigation for Loon, the whole Soleil thing that we got, I think, in episode 53, which I think could be really interesting and filled with tension. But the way that Kim keeps getting hints from Lady A, it could be going somewhere good. I hope that there's a reason these things are connected together, but it does feel super coincidental in a way where it's like, oh, okay, this was sort of put together. Though, to give the story a little bit of benefit of doubt, this is still an ongoing webtoon. We are reading it week by week, so things may come into focus and may come with more clarity. We'll have to wait and see. For now, we're a little bit frustrated about this, but we are going to remain patient and see it through. Definitely. And in perspective of the whole webtoon, it's a relatively small point, too. Speaking of, the web of characters in Purple Hyacinth is both expanding and becoming more intertwined. Nara and Belladonna knowing each other, and we'll get more in episode 90, as we've said, but it's really curious to see how these relationships are changing and coalescing as all this new information is revealed. Yeah, the web is certainly getting wider and tighter, and this was showcased in this episode with Nera and Belladonna, two characters who we didn't think even have any kind of relationship, turn out to be a sort of Sappho and her friend, along with some of something else going on that we don't know about. Yeah, and they bring up a ton of questions too. What is Nera escaping from? Why did Belladonna leave two years ago? And why does their different social standings affect their relationship? Belladonna mentions that she's a commoner. She calls Nera princess. It clearly was a factor before. What's going in with all of that? And why is she so angry? What happened? Yeah, what did Nera do? I don't know. I mean, it's clear to me, my main theory here, obviously, they seem to have had some kind of romantic relationship. If Will's father is any indication of the attitudes of nobles and royalty, and it makes sense with the political climate of Purple Hyacinth, a quote-unquote pure-bloodedness of nobility to be in relationships with other nobility is prized. So it makes sense that Nera couldn't be with Belladonna. Even if, like, sexuality was not an issue, she just couldn't be with Belladonna because she was, quote-unquote, a commoner. And something happened that soured their relationship. But I'm still really curious about what she's escaping from. Yeah, and we'll have to wait for those answers. Episode 89 ends. A little boy comes up with a note to Lauren, and knock-knock, it's time to meet Sandman again. Episode 90 opens with Lauren rendezvousing with Sandman under the bridge, she hands his requested photo over, and they begin to exchange information. Sandman reveals that he will release his Phantom Scythe documents by the end of the month, if he lives. He's not counting on it. And he also shares with Lauren the identity of the mysterious woman handling the nitro imports and disillusion, the one that we saw earlier with the black hair. Her name is Elvira Lloyd, and she's the director of a glass factory. Lauren asks Sandman, why he's even doing this? What are his motivations for betraying the Phantom Scythe? He explains that the Phantom Scythe has something on everybody underneath them, some kind of bargaining chip, 
something to keep their loyalty, blackmail. And he reveals that his bargaining chip, loyalty chip, was his daughter. The Phantom Scythe knew about his daughter and they knew that if they wanted Sandman to comply and do what he was ordered to do, they needed to target where he would hurt the most. And that was his daughter. And it comes to light that one of the first people murdered in the webtoon back in episode one, one of the victims that Kieran murdered was Sandman's daughter. Yeah, this is all the way back in episode one. And this is actually one of the first scenes that we see in the webtoon period is Kieran crouching outside of this house and then murdering Mrs. Grayson or Lady Grayson. So it's funny how this all works. And Lauren asks, you're a strange man. You killed my parents and now you're here helping me and the killer of your daughter. And Sandman kind of agrees that, yeah, it is ironic, but this is how the Phantom Scythe works. They hold your dear ones over your head and you can't escape the fate that they lay out for you. If you don't do the job you're ordered to do, someone else will. And... And you'll be dead. Exactly. And he kind of understands the purple hyacinth a little more after seeing his flowers. He reveals that the flowers he leaves behind are not by order of the Phantom Scythe at all. No, that's Kieran's choice. And for those who don't know, the purple hyacinths, the flowers in flower language means I'm sorry. It's used to express sorrow. So it's very much Kieran's personal choice. It is, but he would never say that out loud. And when Lauren called him out on it in episode 43, he says it's an explicit threat to the monarchy because that's also happens to be the symbol of the Avestors, the royal family. But Sandman asks her, do you really believe that? And she thinks for a minute and she's like, no, I don't. Oh, juicy, all these things. So juicy. I know. Uh, and speaking of juicy, Lauren then asks about the kids in the car. She asks about Robin Delaney. And Sandman says that a kid was ordered to be brought to the leader while the other was collateral damage. Oh, my God. I put that on our notes, in quotes, collateral damage, because it's, it's such a weird way to phrase it, but it's also like, it also sounds very sinister. Well, it's in line with how Phantom Scythe runs things, you know, and it makes sense. But before we can get too into that, their conversation is cut short when an assassin appears and Lauren tackles Sandman to the ground, saving his life, and they manage to get the guy before he gets them. And it's sort of left up in the air who this guy is. Sandman only refers to them, like they're onto me. And he's definitely a hitman, but we don't know who they are. It's probably Phantom Scythe, yeah. but <laughs> it's a little strange how vague it is. It is. It leaves up open-ended questions for sure. But anyway, they're forced to split ways. Sandman says they can never be seen together again. And we cut to Kieran in his apartment. He receives a mysterious letter, and we see the Phantom Scythe insignia on it. New orders, perhaps? Perhaps, maybe. I don't know. He didn't fulfill his last mission, so <laughs> who knows? TikTok. Yeah, and actually, I mean, we can go straight into analysis now, but that was something that's been on my mind kind of throughout the second season. I know in the universe, it hasn't been that long. But it's still been a significant length of time. 
like I think at least two weeks, right? Something like that since Kieran received his orders from the leader to eradicate Loon, basically. So I'm very curious to see what this new communications is from PS, from the Phantom Scythe. And I also kind of want to know what's going on on that front, on Kieran's mission. How is he planning on handling it? We haven't touched on that for quite some time. Yeah, the themes of this last episode with the whole collateral damage and the discussion about Phantom Sight's hold on people, it's kind of fitting that the chapter ends with Kieran receiving a letter from the very people who hold something over him. On the topic of collateral damage, was that Kieran? Was that Dylan? What do you think, Rudy? I don't know. These are all the questions I have. First of all, yeah, who was the kid that the leader wanted brought to him? In fact, actually, I'm leaning towards that kid being Kieran. And in terms of who was the collateral damage, could that be Dylan? That's where my current mind is. But again, as with Purple Hyacinth, always, I am open to things being switched up on me. We don't really know what happened, but that is kind of where I currently sit. And I think this is what Purple Hyacinth does really well. It offers up new leads, but always with new questions, as we said at the top of the episode. Will, what are some of your closing thoughts for chapters 86 to 90? We learned a lot of new things. We learned so much, and I only have more questions. Classic Purple Hyacinth. Who is Neira? What is her deal? What's her history? I'm sure we'll find out more. I also just want to know more about the Snapdragon 2 and the exact goings-ons. We got enough to ask more questions, but we still don't have the whole picture on that front. We don't, and I am curious to see what exactly happened in the previous generation that is impacting what's happening in the story now. I also want to talk about the season two finale and how some of these characters and plot threads are lining up for that. This is something we talked about earlier with Will and what might be the catalyst for him and his change of behavior. We see Kieran receiving more orders from the Phantom Scythe. We know that Kieran shut himself off emotionally before, probably to prevent that blackmail that Sandman was talking about from happening, but that he also cared about people in the past, and he was protective over other people. We see Belladonna, and we see Nera and their story, and Dakon is clearly worried about something happening, and we know someone knows what the Phantom Sight's next move is. So, I guess in your mind, in your opinion, how are all of these happenings shaping up for the season finale. And like I said, I don't think we're there quite yet. We've still got some more story to go, but we are definitely starting to lead up to it. The web is definitely getting more complicated. All of these different threads and characters are all going to start converging, and that's what we're starting to see right now. And as we approach the finale of season two, I think things are going to get only a little bit more chaotic as they go on. We're definitely waiting for the dominoes to fall, and we're waiting to see what pushes it for sure. Yes, and there's so many secrets running around in Purple Hyacinth, it's a little stressful to think about what's going to be revealed, you know, and what's going to come out into the open. It's part of the draw, it's part of the story, it's part of the drama, but oh man, <laughs> I don't know. This next letter from the Phantom Scythe to Kieran, I am curious to see what's in it. Neither of us have read beyond this point, so it's going to be... I'm very curious to see where that goes. It'll be interesting to see for sure. 
Thank you very much for listening to this episode of the Webtoon Room. We always love having you around, and we hope you join us for our next recap or our next episode. Purple Hyacinth is always super fun for us to do. It's such an expansive world and so many theories and delicious things to get into, so we're super happy you all could join us today. If you want to find us on the interwebs to chat Purple Hyacinth theories or whatever else you want about Webtoons, you can find us at the Webtoon Room at both Instagram and Twitter. And if you want to email us something, you can do that at thewebtoonroom at gmail.com. From Kurti and I, we hope to hear from you, and we'll catch you next time. Take care now.